This Week in HPC. AI hits the mainstream. And highlights from the Rice Oil and Gas Conference. It's This Week in HPC. Hi, everyone. Thanks for listening into another episode of This Week in HPC with Intersect 360 Research. I'm Addison Snell, joined again by my colleague Michael Feldman. And This Week in HPC is brought to you in partnership with our friends at top500.org. How's it going, Michael? Very well, Addison. How's it going there? I'm doing great. I'm back from Houston. I had a business trip this week where I got to not only attend the Rice University Oil and Gas HPC conference, but also read cover to cover my most recent Time magazine. And we're going to get into that in the <laughs> second half of the conference, of this podcast, I should say. But let's start with the conference because this was an exciting one that I enjoy going to. It's an annual event, the Rice University Oil and Gas HPC conference, and you know we were wondering how this was going to go with the price of oil uh, being so low. One person cracked that you can buy a barrel of oil for the same price as two KFC family packs now, <laughs> but uh, but the attendance was at a, a record level of more than 500 people, more than 30 companies sponsoring with uh, CDW, Dell, Intel, and IBM as the the gold level sponsors. A lot of uh, a lot of energy around this year's. Uh, OGHPC. Energy, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's that's uh, that's good news because yeah, with the with the price of oil hitting basically rock bottom prices over the past few years, you know, some people might think that they're going to cut back on on their high end IT strategies at these companies because it's it's expensive, obviously, and if there's no uh, sort of high risk. Uh, oil and gas exploration areas that are that are on the docket. Uh, a lot of these, a lot of these projects are being cut back and shelved because uh, they're they're obviously not they're not going to pay off with the price of oil at this at this level. You would think maybe some of the the IT investments would cut back, but it doesn't appear to be the case. There's other things going on in this industry that sort of insulates HPC from a, a real uh, deep cutback. I guess. Well, I think there there is some insulation there. I think there will be a cutback, but if there, but it, but it's not drastic. It doesn't go to zero. There's still projects that are going on out there. If, if there was a an overarching theme from the words that I heard in all the presentations this week in Houston, it was efficiency. This idea that you do have to be more careful with costs. You do have to make sure that these things are going to be profitable. But the the opening keynote uh, from Francois Alibert of Total really set the theme with talking about all of the different places where HPC helps with oil exploration reservoir simulation. And I actually raised my eyebrows at something on his concluding slide where he talked about HPC now being involved in a third of the projects at Total. Uh, it raised my eyebrows because I would have thought it was higher. I guess I, it right-sized it in my mind that there's still a lot of more areas for, for HPC to penetrate. And, and that's what they were talking about this conference is how to use HPC to drive more efficiency when the price of oil is low. 
Right. I think, uh, you know, when we talk about these applications like oil and gas or even manufacturing, we sort of conjure the, the ideas in our heads that, that everybody's using this for everything. And, uh, you know, even with building airplanes or, or finding oil and gas reservoirs, it, it sort of makes sense that it's not all being used. Some things are still being done sort of physically. Some things are still obvious or some things don't require that efficiency yet. But at the same time, there is that opportunity there that, that the process can be made more efficient with the application of HPC technologies, and there's still a lot of headroom in there to, to grow that market in all these areas. Yeah, and if anything, I think there was maybe more of a focus on the reservoir simulation side as opposed to the more of the seismic and exploration side this year. That might have been hinting toward uh, you know a focus on how do we maximize the yield of our existing assets. Now, maybe I'm reading a little too much between the lines, but uh, but but that might uh, be a, another way that HPC is being used uh, when when costs are constrained. Well, how about the, the actual technologies being used in these HPC systems? I mean, the oil and gas industry was sort of the first one to sign on to, to GPUs because it was a good fit for for some of the codes. Uh, how's how are how's the industry now looking at uh, some of these these other technologies and GPUs in general as well? Yeah, there was a lot going on there. There was a disruptive technology track where a lot of the vendors got to give up uh, get up and uh, give their talks on uh, on on some disruptive technologies. I thought the most relevant of all of them was uh, a very quick presentation by DDN on burst buffers, and they showed that their IME product could uh, speed up the reverse time migration. But we also saw everything all the way out to artificial intelligence for uh, uh, or cognitive computing for, for reservoir simulation. Uh, I thought that was pretty interesting. Then there were parallel sessions on algorithms and accelerators, which you were alluding to, data analytics approaches and tools, fine-grained seismic algorithms, a lot of talk about software. Uh, back on the GPU side, um, to me, the most interesting one that I sat in on was uh, results that were being shared by teams from uh, Rice and Shell uh, that were looking at um, the different literature and optimizations that they'd seen comparing Xeon, Xeon Phi, and GPUs for uh, sparse matrix vector multiplication, where uh, people had been saying GPUs are faster. Then there was another study saying, no, no, Xeon Phi is going to be faster. Another study came out and contradicted that again. Uh, so they tried to set out to find out what was true. And their overarching conclusion was that it mattered a lot more how you set up the problem than it did what technology you were using. And then their concluding slide said, A, don't believe any of the literature. B, don't believe our results either. C, do use our process to figure out which one of these will work best for your problem. <laughs> yeah, I think that's why these end user conferences are so useful in HPC, because you, you do get sort of some of the, or a lot of the marketing and, and hype of, of the technologies that we talk about just stripped away and see how the users are able to, to use it or not use it in certain cases. And and see what's actually working. So that that must have been an interesting uh, session and talk. I would have liked to have enjoyed to have seen that. Um, I'll say one last thing about. Oh, and back on the data side, there there was a, a something uh, from on object storage from uh, Brent Gorda, who we've known from 
he was at the National Labs. He's at WAM Cloud. Now he's shepherding Luster at Intel. So the idea of looking forward to an object-oriented future there, that was a that was an important session. But then uh, getting back out of the technology again, people in, in the conference are very concerned with workforce development. You know, how do we get more people uh, into this community? And uh, uh, Barbara Chapman gave an excellent uh, presentation on workforce challenges, particularly uh, the undertapped uh, reservoir, if you will, of bringing more women and minorities into these technical fields and, and how to uh, in, increase the candidate pool. Well, that sounds like a great conference all around. And like you said, it's growing uh, despite the, the macroeconomics of the oil and gas industry right now. So, yeah, good good that you went, and we'll we'll actually, we'll be there next year, I'm sure, and uh, report on what's going on again. Well, and then on my flight home, as I was mentioning, uh, you know, I got into reading this week's Time magazine, and not that we want to get into this week in HPC, always reporting on what magazines Addison Snell is reading, but it, it caught my eye because a significant portion of the March seventh issue uh, was concerned with different aspects of artificial intelligence, including a, a story by David Von Driel that focused on an interview uh, with David Galanter, who's one of the pioneers of artificial intelligence, and their cover story entitled Why You Shouldn't Be Allowed to Drive, written by Matt Vella, that was all about self-driving cars, and two, uh, two um, accompanying stories uh, along with it, saying essentially that, that all the technology and self-driving cars are essentially already here. That you know, there's a pretty good chance that my grandkids aren't ever going to learn how to drive because the cars are just going to be doing it for them. Right. I mean, I think that's what we've seen in the popular press. I mean, you mentioned Time Magazine; they're having this big thing. But yeah, I've noticed just over the last six months, there have been more and more articles in in the general press about artificial intelligence, cognitive computing, machine learning all related, obviously. And I think it's because of what you said, like with self-driving cars, this is now becoming a commercial concern. It's not in the lab anymore. It's not a bunch of computer scientists, you know, arguing about, you know, how to do artificial intelligence, you know, the Turing concepts and all that. This is becoming a commercial technology now. And and with self-driving cars in particular, you're seeing this move very rapidly. Obviously, there's no uh, industry right now for self-driving cars, but the prototypes are there. They've logged a lot of miles. And it's something we're going to see in, in historical terms is what could be the very near term. And it's going to have a huge effect on the economy and the industry and the culture. That, that's exactly right. And the, the article cites a lot of those important statistics, starting right off with safety with over 32,000 Americans, that's just Americans only, who died in auto accidents in 2014, and that auto-related accidents are the leading cause of death for people age 15 through 24, um, and then pointed out that cars are much better drivers than humans. And at the time they wrote this article, uh, they mentioned that Google's autonomous test cars had more than 1.4 million uh, test miles driven without, uh, without an 
accident in which the car was at fault. That streak came yeah, to an end just last this, week. Just this week in HPC, uh, you know, after this article, this uh, issue was already on newsstands. We had in the newspaper that uh, that a Google self-driving car was in a a minor accident, but it goes down as the first time that the uh, the computer driver, the self-driving car, was found at fault in an accident. But even in that case, I think the actual circumstances was the car, the software in the car, had expected the driver of the truck to sort of yield because oh, that, that's, right. that's what would have made sense. And it sounded like the truck driver didn't, I mean, actually sort of made a mistake and was too aggressive or whatever. And that's why the accident happened. I mean, you can sort of see this, that a lot of the software to, to sort of navigate their way across the, the current landscape is to avoid uh, sort of human error. If you had all computers running across there, con, con, you know, just connected by networks, in a sense, you, you wouldn't even need as much cognitive computing to run that system because it would be much better integrated. You wouldn't have to even account for the human element anymore. Well, that's exactly right. It's not just that we're looking at the transition point where we'll have some self-driving cars on the road, and we expect a tipping point to that in the next decade. But once you really start engineering for that, uh, you know, they make the point that the the reason lanes are so wide is that that humans can't drive in a straight line, right. right? And the computers are much better at it. And there's also safe following distances and things like that. You and in the same amount of space, you could put roughly double the density of cars onto existing roads before you even redesign roads. You redesign the cars themselves; they don't need steering wheels. How much of the weight or safety features of the car uh, could start coming back out to make them cheaper to uh, uh, to make them cheaper to design the car. Uh, parking gets revolutionized because the, the car can go park itself somewhere far away and let you summon it back. Uh, you don't even necessarily have to have one in your own driveway. Uh, estimates are that there's more than two parking spots uh, for every car out there uh, because you've got your own parking spot at home and one at work and, and fractions of parking spots around everywhere else that belong to you. Right. I mean, this will this will change the economics of car ownership and car usage and 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 transportation uh, in in ways I think we're only just beginning to grasp. And it's just dependent upon this one technology, uh, cognitive computing, and it's moving so rapidly right now. And and it's it's going to move more rapidly than people are going to be able to adapt to it because it is going to be commercially available within within years not decades and all of a sudden things are going to things are going to just change very quickly for a lot of a lot of industries and a lot of people who are not quite ready for it yet well, and I know where we're going to hear a lot about this at another conference coming up, but that's going to be at the GPU Technology Conference, the GTC, coming up in San Jose. That'll be the week of April 4th. Uh, and, and that, you know, cognitive computing, deep learning has been a major thrust of, uh, of NVIDIA's messaging going forward. They've also got the Open Power Summit co-located at GTC. And IBM has also been a major proponent of cognitive computing. So I've already sent in my RSVP for that one. I know we'll be talking about it a lot more then. And beyond that, ISC in uh, June, there's a lot of uh, a lot of sessions that are directed towards machine learning and related areas. So I think uh, 
for the near term and the rest of the year, we're going to hear a lot about cognitive computing and artificial intelligence and all those related topics. Looking forward to it, Michael. Uh, thanks for uh, another great podcast, and uh, we'll talk about it more in those conferences ahead. Thanks for tuning in. You've been listening to This Week in HPC. You've been listening to This Week in HPC. 